play. Boys and girls, you did such a good job paying attention. And this is going to be the hardest part of the service because I'm going to talk for a while. (laughs) But if you're still listening as you're going back to your seats, I threw in a lot of cool stories that I think you're going to know from different shows and movies. And so I want you to lean and listen because we're going to talk all about love this morning, moms, dads, and all the adults as well. So if you have a Bible, open it to 1 Corinthians 13. I think you know where we're landing. I'm just going to preach the first three verses of this section, and then we'll save the rest for later when the kids are back in kids' church, all right? So let's pray as we open God's Word this morning. Father God, we thank you so much that our kids could be here this morning to hear your Word. We pray that you would save our children, even today, that today would be the day of salvation. And Lord, for any that don't know you here who are adults, Lord, as well, grant us the gift of faith and the gift of love. Lord, speak to us through your Word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Once upon a time in a faraway land, a young prince lived in a shining castle. Although he had everything his heart desired, the prince was spoiled, selfish, and unkind. Do you recognize it? But then, one winter's night, an old beggar woman came to the castle and offered him a single rose in return for shelter from the bitter cold. Repulsed by her haggard appearance, the prince sneered at the gift and turned the old woman away. But she warned him to not be deceived by appearances, for beauty is found within. When he dismissed her again, the old woman's ugliness melted away to reveal a beautiful enchantress. The prince tried to apologize, but it was too late, for she had seen that there was no love in his heart. And as punishment, she transformed him into a hideous beast and placed a powerful spell on the castle and all who lived there. Ashamed of his monstrous form, the beast concealed himself inside his castle with a magic mirror as his only window to the outside world. The rose she had offered was truly an enchanted rose, which would bloom until his 21st year. If he could learn to love another and earn her love in return by the time the last petal fell, then the spell would be broken. If not, he would be doomed to remain a beast for all time. And as the years passed, he fell into despair and lost all hope For who could ever learn to love a beast? Love. You turn on the radio, it's one of the main themes in almost every song that we listen to, right? Love. It's one of the main themes running through almost every movie. Who who falls in love, the, the drama between who falls out of love, all those themes. Love is at the epicenter of the human experience. And love, actually, this is where we get this right. All of humanity realize that love is at the center of what brings meaning and purpose to all of life. Disney has uh, mastered the ending where love is always the thing that breaks the curse, right? Just like Beauty and the Beast. And true love, usually embodied in a kiss, right? Romantic love. And yet, romantic love is just a small sliver of what true love is. And here... We've been going through a preaching series on 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, talking about the power of God, talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, talking about manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But as we enter into chapter 13, this is the section we love to read at the weddings, right? Because marriage is all about love. Paul's not 
preoccupied, though, with marital love or romantic love at this moment. He is focused on the power of love in the church combined with the power of the Holy Spirit so that the gifts of the Holy Spirit would operate in a way that would truly break curses and bring life and build other people up. And so after today's sermon, where I'm only preaching the first three verses, if you don't remember anything, I want you always to read chapter 13, Yes at Weddings, it's beautiful. But to remember that the purpose of this is to think about how I use the gifts that God has given to me in a loving way. And I've entitled today's sermon, Love is Everything, because love is the essential ingredient to make everything taste good in life. Boys and girls, do any of you like to bake with your mom or with your dad? Raise your hand if you like to bake. All right, do any of you like to eat with your mom bakes? Raise your hand. All right, every hand better be up because she's right next to you, right? (laughs) Well, when you're making a dessert... One of the most important ingredients to make it sweet is what? Sugar, right? If you leave out the sugar, even if you get all the other ingredients correct, it's still going to taste yucky or even worse. Sometimes things look like sugar, but they're not. Have you ever seen salts, boys and girls? And sugar, do they look the same? If you put a cup of salt in your cake, will it taste the same? No, right? Sometimes things appear to be loving, and we say, I'm only doing this because I love you. And it doesn't feel or taste loving. And people can tell the difference. We can feel the difference. We can taste the difference. Love is the sugar that goes into the recipe, if you will. Love is everything in life. And there's three areas that Paul, in these first three verses, draws our attention to. If we forget the sugar, if we forget the love, if we leave out that key ingredient, our speech becomes noisy, our life becomes nothing, and our generosity, he says, is wasted. So that's what we're briefly going to talk about in today's message. First, without love, if we leave out the recipe, we leave out the sugar, we leave out love, our speech is noisy, he says in verse 1. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I love you, I love you, I love you. Did you hear what I said? I was saying I love you. You ready? Let me try again. I love you, I love you, I love you. I love you. I couldn't hear you. Because just using the words and saying things without love, this is what Paul says. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels without love, I sound like that symbol instead of what I'm trying to communicate. You know, there's over 7,000 languages in the world, right? 
And there's a miracle that sometimes the Holy Spirit does, like in Acts chapter 2, where he gave them actually tongues of men that they could understand and hear all these different languages. And then he ups the ante and says, and by the way, there's heavenly languages that none of y'all know. He says, tongues of angels. So you throw those into there, and the sky's the limit. And sometimes when the Holy Spirit shows up, we start to speak divine speech in the church and to one another. But sometimes, 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 though that gift of the Holy Spirit comes to us, it lacks the love of the Holy Spirit in someone's heart. And what he's trying to say here is, if you have really powerful speech, it doesn't matter what you say, because if it lacks love, it'll sound worse than that gong or cymbal. It'll just be noise. It'll be painful noise. It'll hurt your ears. Studies have been done to see what are some of the worst sounds out there. Certainly crashing cymbals and things breaking is in there. You know what one of the worst sounds in the world is for the human ear? What's that? Nails on a chalkboard is up there. They actually said a a knife screeching on glass. (laughs) What Paul is trying to illustrate here is that's how we sound when love is left out of the recipe. Even with spiritual gifts, especially with spiritual gifts. One of the greatest sounds is actually bubbling water. Sometimes we have these white noise to help us fall asleep. Birds and waves and the sound of that That's what love does to our speech. When love is put into the cake, so to speak, it allows us to hear it in a beautiful way. When I was a kid, there was a movie out for a long time already. It was called Mary Poppins. Any of you kids watch Mary Poppins yet? Yes, this wonderful woman taught the kids a song about medicine. (laughs) And it goes as following. It's a spoonful of sugar. She said, just a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. The medicine go down, the medicine go down. Just a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down in the most delightful way. And she was basically teaching these children that sometimes you have to take things in your life that you don't want to take that will make you better, make you stronger, make you healthy, and it doesn't taste right, but if you mix in the sugar, it goes down easy. The principle that Paul wants all of us to hear, moms, dads, brothers and sisters, little ones and old, is when we leave out that key ingredient, the medicine tastes yucky. And sometimes, even if we say true things, if we say it without love, it stinks, it smells, it hurts, it's a gong. And as Christians, one of the things we have to always learn to do is, yes, stand on the truth, But stand on the truth and proclaim the truth in loving ways so that the truth comes across with the sugar, the love of God, if you will, baked into the cake. And even sometimes things that, now to be loving does mean sometimes to say some hard things. But people can tell if you love them or not, whether you really care or not. And Paul wants us all to be aware that love is the key ingredient first, otherwise Our speech becomes noisy. Our speech is noisy. Secondly, without love, without that sugar, life is 
Nothing, he says. Life is nothing. Look at verse two on the screen as well, boys and girls and moms and dads. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Without love, my life is nothing. Now, Paul moves from the gifts of tongues to three other gifts he's already shared about in chapter 12. These are the gifts of prophecy. Did you see that? If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries. So he's saying, if you have the gift of prophecy so that God reveals things to you and he reveals mysteries to you, that's a powerful thing. Would you agree? If God speaks to you in signs and dreams, According to Acts chapter 2, when he gave his Holy Spirit to the church, sons and daughters, men, old men, young people would prophesy. This is a gift the Holy Spirit gives to us. And yet he says, if I have that power, and look at the next one, all knowledge, there's a gift of knowledge, a word of knowledge. Remember, he shared that earlier, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. So he's saying, I have not just a word of knowledge, I know everything. I am the encyclopedia. Like, God has just dropped his omniscience and omni Like, everything that God knows has been deposited into my headspace, which would be overwhelming and crush any of us. But he's pushing us to the end of this, right? Like, he's not just saying, here's a little tidbit you wouldn't otherwise know. He's like, I have everything. I know it all. I have the mind of God here. If I had that gift... And then finally, he says, if I have faith so as to remove mountains. Now, faith, all Christians have faith. Did you know that? We all believe in Jesus. There's a grace that God gives us to save us that comes with faith. But there's also a gift of faith that God gives us in a moment to do miraculous things. Jesus said, if you have faith, you can tell this mountain to be cast into the sea. And so Paul's picking that up, saying that kind of supernatural, spontaneous faith that could do wild, amazing things. That gift of faith, that gift of knowledge, that gift of prophecy. If you have some of these miraculous gifts from God, but have nothing. What does he say? He doesn't say the gifts are nothing, does he? How does he end it? He says, I am nothing. No stronger statement could end after those three powerful gifts. He's saying, you have all this power, but you don't have love. Your life is nothing. Nothing. Thank you. Nothing. I didn't say it. God said it in his word. I wouldn't preach it that hard except it's right there, right? He says, I am nothing. You know, gifts are important in the church, but they're not most important. We believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit at Manoa Community Church, but they're not the most important thing. And chapter 13 makes that so clear that one day when Jesus comes back, I don't need to have the gift of faith anymore. I don't need to have the gift of knowledge anymore. But one thing will live on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever in heaven. You know what it is? It is love, right? Because God is love and we will forever exist in his love and love will never, ever, ever, ever end. And nothing gives life more meaning, as I said at the outset of this sermon, than love. Love is what gives our marriages meaning. Love is what gives our families meaning. Love is what 
gives our workplace meaning. I mean, work becomes a really dreary thing if you don't like or love the people you're working with or the people you're working for, right? Love is that ingredient that makes our lives special and pours in specialness into other people's lives. You know, in the Old Testament, there was a man named Balaam. He prophesied. He was spot on, but he's a villain. Caiaphas in the New Testament also prophesied about Jesus. He was right about what he said about Jesus, also a villain, right? That you could have power and even some, sometimes spontaneously get it right on. And I don't know why or how that God works through some of these villains sometimes where they speak on God's behalf better than they knew. But they're not celebrated in our Bibles. They are the villains in our Bibles. My kids just wrapped up a week or a month at summer camp, I should say, at their middle school, Joanna, Owen, and Elizabeth. And they were in the play Aladdin. I shared the story of Aladdin a little bit earlier, but th- I just love the play and the movie Aladdin. These guys did an awesome job. They d- put their performance on for us last week. Most of you know the story of Aladdin. At the very end, uh, there's a character, Jafar, who is lusting after power throughout the whole movie, throughout the whole play, remember? And Jafar can't wait to get his hands on that lamp because by becoming the owner of that lamp, then he could get more wishes, right? He could wish to be the sultan, to be the king. He could wish to be the most powerful sorcerer in the world, right? He wants that power. He lusts after that power. And sadly, in the movie, he has all the power in the world, but he's still a villain. And the beautiful thing at the end of the movie Aladdin, or the play Aladdin, is that Aladdin uses his last wish to set the genie free. He uses the power that he's been given. Now, again, we don't believe in genies here. Just to be clear, this is storytelling, right? He uses that power to express love to another individual and set them free. And we all know the hero at the end of the story. He had access to power, but he used his power not toward himself. He used his power to liberate and set other people free. What Paul wants us to see here is that these gifts have been given by God. When he gives us power, he gives it to us, and he expects us to use it with love to set other people free free. If we want to be the hero in the world, all of our gifts will be used with the love of God, because without love, my life is nothing. Lastly and finally, as we bring this to a close, without love, my generosity, my generosity is wasted. Verse 3, if I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Verse three, he says, if I give it all away, if I give everything I have away, if I give all my money away, all my possessions away, if I give my life away, if I give my body away to be burned, if I give it all away, but don't have love, I gain nothing. I get nothing out of it. It's wasted giving. Now, boys and girls, I hope that you're learning to become generous and moms and dads as well. At, at our house, we have a chore chart. 
not as faithful as I should be with the tickets. They're going to call me out on this later because we do payday and we try to do payday once a week, but we give out tickets for the different things our kids do. And then they redeem them on payday and they get money. They get money from mom and dad. So uh, we don't do allowances. We do commissions at the Bomberger household, right? And I bought them piggy banks, but there's three slots in them. There's a give or excuse me, there's a save one, there's a spend one, and there's a give one, right? Save, spend, and give. Because we all want to learn to be givers. It's more blessed, Jesus said, to give than to receive. And so when they earn $10, they put a dollar into the give to give to the Lord because we believe in tithing, right? We give a first fruit off the top. We give 10%. My daughter makes $20 babysitting. She'll put $2 aside to give back to the Lord because that's what we all do, right, moms and dads? Right? Yeah, I do, I do. I want to call us all to, yes, and train our kids to do that, to be generous. And so they they put their money in there and they give it away. Giving 10% can be hard sometimes. But Paul pushes us even further than that. Paul pushes us and says, if I gave it all away, if payday came and I got $10 and I gave all of the money away, but I did it like, fine, take the money. You might as well burn the money. If I took all my pennies that I saved in coins and dimes and nickels and I threw and said, take the money, you might as well throw them into the bottom of the ocean because you're wasting your giving. You're wasting your life. It means nothing is what he says here. You know, the gift of giving is actually a spiritual gift. But sometimes if we're not careful, giving could even be selfish too because we want to put our names on plaques to make sure everybody knows, right? Giving could be done in such a way that people trumpet out and say, look how generous so-and-so is. Jesus actually says when we give with that spirit, you already got your reward. There's no reward in heaven for you because you're being celebrated by people. But when we give with love and we give it not to be noticed but to help other people, There's a treasure, the Bible says, that is stored up forever and ever and ever. We want to be generous Christians. We want to be gifted Christians who use our gifts. We want to be articulate Christians who have divine speech from God. But we want to make sure always, always, always it's wrapped with the special ingredient of love. The end of the movie, Frozen, the whole Disney movie, D- Disney's maturing in its understanding of love. I love this. Uh, in the past, all the Disney flicks always end with a kiss. You remember? It's like Snow White, the kiss breaks the curse. And so in, we are all expecting that Anna, she's cursed now, that she needs a kiss from her love, and she's not sure who the true love is. And at the end, we realize, oh, it's got to be Kristoff. It's got to be Kristoff, because she kissed the other dude, and he turned out to be the villain, right? He was not loving, right? And so, so at the end... Her sister is about to be attacked by Hans, but she is in this moment where she's been struck by her sister. She's about to freeze herself. So she has a choice. Should she go and kiss Kristoff to experience true love's kiss and break the curse? Or will she run and save her sister? And beautifully, at the end of the movie, she turns towards her sister, lifts up her arm, and the sword that's meant to kill her shatters 
She is cursed and frozen, but her sister is saved. And we're paused there for a moment, both weeping, happy, and sad at the same time. And then all of a sudden, this frozen sculpture remelts and comes back to life. And the penny drops. And everybody realizes that kisses are easy. Sacrifice. Laying down your life for the good of another person. Putting yourself in harm's way that you might save another human being. That is an act of true love. And boys and girls, moms and dads, and everyone in between, the reason that we can express true love in the church and true love to our brothers and sisters and true love to one another is because that is the kind of true love that God has demonstrated for you and for me on the cross. He ultimately hung on the cross, sacrificing himself, a selfless act of love that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that he might save you from your sins and save you from the power of the devil. And when he laid down his life, his love poured out for you to rescue you, forgive you, and then he resurrected, not unlike her, he was unfrozen, if you will, and we saw the true act of love that has now poured out love to the entire world. Kisses are easy. Romance is special, but romantic love is not the highest expression of true love. The true love that breaks the true curse in the world is the love of Christ demonstrated on the cross. And if you lack love towards your sister, towards your brother, towards your friends, towards the church, don't first look within. Look to the cross. Look to Jesus. Look to the source of true love. And look to the very Holy Spirit that gifts you Because the fruit of the Spirit, the very first fruit that he wants to bear in your life is love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And so may we be known as men and women, boys and girls, marked by a spirit of love. Because love is everything. Amen.